Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a show about science straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Sean Kelly, and for this episode we're going to do things a little differently. Instead of sitting down with a scientist for a chat, we're going to head down to a real-life physics lab and get a taste of what it's like to work on cutting-edge research. We'll meet two scientists working on building the basic components for a quantum computer. We'll cover more about why you might want to build a quantum computer, and why it's so hard, in future episodes. But for today, we just want to get a sense of what it looks like to tackle this task in a university physics lab, and talk with experts who believe they're nearing the end of a decades-long technology race to build devices based on the weirdness of quantum physics. So we're heading two floors underground to the sub-basement of the physical sciences complex here on campus. We're visiting a lab directed by Chris Monroe, a physics professor who is a leading expert on trapping and manipulating atomic ions, one of the platforms that quantum computers could be built on. He's a founder of IonQ, a new quantum computer startup that traces its roots to labs just like the one we're heading to. Basement. The lab is around the corner from the elevator, halfway down a corridor flanked by television screens and photos of ion traps. It's run by two scientists who coordinate the work of grad students and other folks working in the lab. Uh, I'm Marco Cetina, I'm a research scientist. And uh, I'm Kai Hudek, a research scientist with Marco. The inside of the lab looks pretty industrial and has the faint smell of freshly unpacked electronics. In the center are a few large tables, each with a dull gray metal top covered in a massive grid of drilled out holes. The surfaces are littered with cables and optical equipment. Above the tables, a large rack sits suspended from the ceiling, filled with blinking electronic boxes and a dense network of cables. It's all waiting to become an orderly forest of small mirrors, lenses, and optical fibers on the tabletop. Eventually, the whole mess will be packaged up and stuffed in a large metal box. The lab has been under construction for more than a year, but things have started coming together in recent months. And that's how long it takes because there's a thousand little things in addition to the hundred big things that you're trying to coordinate. There's a lot of mental juggling because you have to jump between physics and engineering and program management and buying screws on McMaster. So, McMaster was kind of like Home Depot for experimental physicists. And so once, every, once we have everything in place, we can start cleaning up and getting better organized. But for right now, this is what our mind looks like as well yes. on the inside. As scattered and full of tinfoil as yeah, this the lab. Substantial amount of <laughs> Science is a lot of tinfoil, actually, <laughs> and building of boxes. It's not, as, uh, not necessarily as uh, fancy as you would think. Uh, building a nice box. That's what we're trying to do, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and Hudek's not kidding. They're actually trying to condense decades of research into a box. Currently, that box is sitting on the center lab table, but it looks like its insides have exploded out onto the table. It looks chaotic, but Hudek and Satina say it's all part of the process. Both Kai and I and uh, other people who were involved with this project have been through this experience of building up an experiment from an empty room and and uh, ordering all the screws from McMaster and wondering where to put every single mirror and hand winding magnetic coils, you know, taking a spool and putting wire on it by hand and then having epoxy melt all over your hands and then burning your coils because you ran too much current and then it's flaming almost. They certainly smell all across the room. And um, it's actually kind of funny that, that yeah, uh, our seniority 
not necessarily comes from our scientific expertise, but our ability at logistics and program management. <laughs> you want a program that has an aggressive timeline and meeting deadlines, you can't put a grad student on it. They, might, they could be the smartest grad student in the world, but like... But they can't it, possibly anticipate all the ways it will burn down. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's what you want. <laughs> the quantum computing box isn't quite ready for mass production, so Hudik and Satina wear lots of hats. Some days they're lab managers, planning how to align all this cool technology into a single box. And some days, they get their hands dirty with the nuts and bolts of trapping atomic ions. Uh, what preoccupied me a lot was the vacuum work. So the assembly of the vacuum system and everything that goes under vacuum, because we need the vacuum to keep the ions isolated from air that would disturb them. Okay. And even when our vacuum is like interstellar space, we are still suffering every few minutes from something hitting our ion. So in order to minimize these crashes, we like to get very, very good vacuum and, if, and understand also the reasons why our vacuum is not even better. This day-to-day -day work, tinfoil and all, is what it takes if you want to build a quantum computer out of atomic ions. The ultimate result is a lot of small steps that move quantum computing forward in a big way towards something that might actually start to resemble a computer. Quantum like computer, like a desktop, like a like a like an old school supercomputer, right? Okay, it's no, like the no, size no. of a fridge, and it has fancy lights, and it looks kind of scary, but it's not. <laughs> it's not like your iPhone, but uh, I mean, a quantum computer is not gonna replace your normal computer ever. And the first quantum computer is gonna look like a Google server farm, I think, anyway. Um, yes. <laughs> so you, it's gonna take yes. an entire building just to run a single quantum computer. Um, and so when you ask, where's my quantum computer? You won't, you won't you, get you it's a question people have been asking for years. Now, companies like Google, IBM, and Intel are pouring millions into building their own quantum boxes, though they are taking a different approach than the trapped atomic ions that Hudek and Satina favor. There's a race on to see who will get there first and who will have the most scalable, robust technology. Give it another 50 years or something. If you look at the history of digital, it's exactly the same. Yeah. The, the early computers, World War II era, and they had a big impact on people indirectly. But it took decades yeah. until people could actually wear one. So that's true. So yeah, start, start a few decades. going to own them, and then big banks are going to own them, and Google's going to own them, and then maybe smaller banks will own them, and other people. But it'll take a while. But the technology is maturing, and with giants like IBM and Google in the mix, physicists are getting more excited. And and we sort of feel the same way that now's a good time. Like the technology is there, we just have to actually make it happen and, and push these things forward to do something that is useful and real. Um, and not just do, hopefully not just do, I wouldn't, I'm not trying to be derogatory, not just do another physics experiment, right? But do something that then leads to something else. a clear that, roadmap where, what you do next. That's right. Quantum computing has a big promise to revolutionize certain areas of computing and solving certain problems, like nitrogen fixation in plants, understanding and understanding photosynthesis, uh, doing, uh, having better search methods, search algorithms, uh, breaking codes, and so on. That's, that's pretty exciting then to be sort of at this, what seems like a threshold. It's, whenever I get sad that there's so much work to be done and we feel so behind, I'm like, if it all works out, we'll build the world's best quantum computer, which is pretty exciting. Best and biggest. Best <laughs> and biggest. I mean, at the end of the day, you hope that you do something useful. You know, there's some between pure physics and what's useful for humanity, and we're, that's why I find it exciting, and that's why I find it exciting that other people find it exciting. Many thanks to Marco Satina and Kai Hudek for welcoming us into their lab. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode, so keep your ears open.
we're relatively certain. I'm Sean Kelly.